Lord, as we come now to your word, we come in with humbleness, we come with eagerness, and we come with joy. Lord, we do not come to be entertained. We do not come to be uh, fancied or elevated in ourselves, but rather we come to be encouraged in who you are and edified that we could do your work. Help me, Lord, to be hidden behind the cross, and may Jesus Christ in all of his wonders and beauties be seen. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we come back to the New Testament book of 1 Peter. We took an elongated break from 1 Peter to do a marriage and parenting series. We entitled, There's No Place Like Home. And we come back to 1 Peter as we want to press on in this wonderful epistle and helpful epistle, as we will see, I'm sure, again in the next few minutes. By way of a very quick review on the first five verses of 1 Peter, I want us to remember that, one, it's possible to sing as we suffer. It is possible for you, although you may be suffering, to sing. And three things make it possible for the believer in Christ to sing when we suffer. Number one, we, when we see that glory follows suffering. Second, when we expect suffering. And third, when we consider Jesus' suffering. If you're suffering this morning and you're saying, I don't know if I can sing, may I just remind you that you need to remember that the pattern of Scripture, the pattern of the uh, will of God for all of us is that glory always follows suffering. Did in Jesus' life, there was a cross before there was a crown. And so if you want to sing when you suffer, you need to see and believe that glory always follows suffering. Second, you need to expect that you're going to suffer. You are not going to be carried on a bed of roses in a bubble from conversion to heaven without having times and episodes and seasons of suffering. And third, you're going to sing when you suffer, when you consider, I mean really consider, the suffering that Jesus Christ, the creator of all things that have been created, the precious Lamb of God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, when you think about what he suffered willingly, it'll help you to sing when you're called to suffer. And so the first review point in the first five verses of the book is that it's possible to sing when we suffer. The second point of review is this, that we are aliens who have been sown, chosen, and saved with a purpose. Why? That we would be obedient to God. God has told us in his word that our true citizenship is not in the Bahamas or in Canada or in the U.S. or any other country. Our true citizenship is in heaven. We're citizens of heaven, which makes us aliens of earth. We're just passing through. We're sojourners. We're travelers. We're tourists. We are aliens, more specifically, who have been sown. God has sown you like grass seed or some other seed purposefully right where you are, right on the street and the corner you live at with the neighbors you have around you. God has sown you there. God has sown you where you work. God has sown you where you go to school. God has sown you to be in part of the assembly called Calvary Bible Church. You are aliens who have been sown, but that's not all. You are aliens, according to the text, who have been sown, but also have been chosen. You've been chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. He selected you. He picked you. 
So he called you to himself, the salvation that we can have in Jesus. And so he has told us we are aliens who have been sown, aliens who have been chosen, aliens who have been saved from sin and self and Satan. Why is all that happen? So that we'll be obedient to God. 100% of the time, 100% of the issues. When the Lord Jesus in his word, by his spirit, says jump, each one of us should only have one question. How high? God has called us aliens, noted that we've been sown, chosen, and saved so that we will obey him. That's how we show our love for him, when we obey him. And so I don't know all of what you are going through. In some cases, I know some of what some of you are going through as your pastor, but I confess I don't know what all of you are going through, all the things that you're going through. But maybe you're here on November the 19th, 2017, and the truth be told, you're hurting. You're overwhelmed. You're confused. You're needy. The truth be told, you may be here this morning because you're struggling because you're misunderstood by your children, by your grandchildren, by your siblings, by your mate, by your employer, by your neighbor. You may be misunderstood. Maybe you're here this morning and you're broken or you're under great pressure, pressure from within and pressure from without. Maybe you're here this morning feeling very downtrodden, not sure you'll get your right foot ahead of your left and your left ahead of your right. This week, maybe you're here tired. You're tired physically, you're tired emotionally, you're tired mentally. You're just tired. Maybe you're here this morning and you're discouraged. Any portion or piece of encouragement that used to be in you somehow hit the road. Truth be told, you feel very discouraged. Some of us here this morning are distressed. It robs us of sleep at night. It causes us to have all near accidents on the road because our minds are preoccupied with the pain we're feeling for various reasons. We're distressed. If that describes you, I have great news for you today. That the two verses of our attention in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, are just the doctor's prescription. If you feel any of those ways. First Peter 1, 6 and 7 are verses truly that the distressed believer needs to reckon with. In First Peter 1, 6 and 7, we read, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What great verses. The first things that we should note as inductive Bible students is that verse 6 starts with two tiny words, in this. We should ask, in what? In this, we should ask, in what? And to find the answer about the what, the in what, we must look back to the preceding five verses that come before verse 6. Verse 6 links back to verses 1 through 5. And so what we do when we look back to verses uh, 1 through 5, we see six 
marvelous blessings. If you're saved this morning, you have all six of these blessings. They're fantastic blessings. And the first blessing we see is in the first part of verse 3, and it's the blessing of experiencing God's mercy and being born again. Look at the first part of verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy, if you're saved this morning, if you're born again and converted, you are a recipient of God's mercy. God's mercy is withholding the bad that we deserve. If you're saved, you are the recipient of God's mercy. But that's not all. There's another blessing that we should reflect upon often, and it is that being born again is to know a living hope. Being born again is to know a living hope. I see that in the middle part of verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again, watch, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You, if you are saved, have the tremendous blessing of having a living hope based on a living Savior. A living hope based on Jesus Christ's bodily resurrection from the dead. But there's more. Another fantastic blessing that will transform your understanding of your trials and your distresses, and it's this. One day, we will be granted an enduring and a reserved inheritance in heaven. If you're saved, there's an inheritance waiting for you in heaven that is enduring and it is reserved. It has your name on it. See this with me in verse 4, please. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. That's a blessing. No matter what your distress might be, consider the blessings of verses 1 through 5, and it will help you to sing even when you're suffering. There's more blessing, though. Currently, we are being protected within God's salvation by God's power. Verse 5, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Aren't you glad that your protected standing and place in the family of God has nothing to do with your power? I'm sure glad for that. I fail the Lord all the time. I mess up all the time. And if my security and standing in the family of God was based on my strength, I would be sunk. Hopeless. Thanks be to God that for the believer in Christ currently being protected within God's salvation by God's power. It's not how much of a grip I have on Jesus. It's how much of a grip Jesus has on me. Now there's more. There's a sixth blessing in these first five verses, and it's this, expecting that the full extent of our salvation will one day be showcased. The full extent of our salvation will one day be showcased for everybody to see. Verse 5, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We live in the last time, you know. There's no predictive prophecy that's yet to be fulfilled. 
before the Lord Jesus Christ can come to the clouds of heaven, the great trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. There's no predictive prophecy yet to be fulfilled for that event before that event happens. So maybe the full extent of our salvation is going to be showcased sooner than you think. Now let's go back to verse 6. That was all by way of review. Now let's look at our verse for today. Back to verse 6. According to verse 6, when a believer properly considers and ponders those six blessings I just raced through from the first five verses, when a believer thinks on these, meditates on these, praise on these, then, number one, the Christian greatly rejoices, even in distress, greatly rejoices. See it there, verse 6? In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. But it's not just that you as a Christian can greatly rejoice if you consider the promises of God for your salvation. Number two, the Christian greatly rejoices even though the Christian may have to go through times of being distressed by trials. Did you hear it? Even though now for a little while, verse 6, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. But there's more. When we remember the blessings of verses 1 through 5, number 3, the Christian greatly rejoices even though distress, understanding that the trials prove a personal saving faith exists. You do know that, right? It's not your easy times that prove you're really trusting Jesus alone for salvation. It's your hard times. It's not when everything is rosy that it proves you have saving faith in Jesus. It's when the storm clouds roll in and the hurricane of our experience starts to come upon us. That's what proves that our faith is genuine and saving and resting fully on the completed work of Christ. But there's more. According to the first part of verse 7, number 3, the Christian greatly rejoices even though distressed, through distress, understanding that trials prove that personal faith exists. Let's go to the second part of verse 7. It's going to teach us as this sentence accumulates and grows. The Christian greatly rejoices even through distress, understanding that trials prove that personal faith exists and that Trials reveal the imperishability and the value of personal faith in Christ. I see that in the whole of verse 7. That the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so if we will think about the six blessings in 1 Peter 1, verses 1 through 5, if we will really think and wrestle with and accept and claim those blessings, then the finished sentence here is this. The Christian greatly rejoices, even through distress, understanding that trials prove that personal faith exists and that trials reveal the imperishability and the high value of personal faith, and that ultimately personal faith, which stands the tests of trials, will bring the Lord Jesus Christ praise, glory, and honor. Do you want to bring the Lord Jesus Christ praise, glory, and honor? Then understand that through your distress, your trials prove your faith in him, 
and your trials are necessary to reveal the imperishability and the high value of your faith in him. That helps. Now, when it says, the end of verse 7, at the revelation of Jesus Christ, I understand that to be the second coming, second coming of Christ before the millennial kingdom begins, when Jesus Christ, every eye shall see, every knee shall bow, every eye shall see him as he descends to the Mount of Olives. It splits in two from north to south, and he sets up his literal throne for a thousand years on earth on David's throne in Jerusalem. At that event, that culminating event, that magnificent event, you can bring honor praise and glory to the Savior right at that event. How? By enduring duress, enduring distress, enduring trials with your eyes fixed on the promises of God. And so we step back. There's so many ideas and truths that are layered upon layered in these seven verses in 1 Peter chapter 1. And so I step back. I'm a golfer. I haven't golfed since I've come to the Bahamas because it costs entirely too much money to go golfing here, and I'm cheap. But as you golf, and there's a a green, and there's a hole to put the golf ball in, and it's a 20-foot putt, which are some of the most challenging putts. In some ways, you should make them. In other ways, they're hard to make. You step back from that putt, and you get your putter, and you do something like this. You hold the putter up perpendicular to the green, and you read the green. Is it downhill or is it uphill? Is it breaking to the left or breaking to the right? Is the green fast because it's dry, or is the green a little slower because it's damp with uh, dew or rain after a rainfall? I want us to step back from these two verses, 6 and 7, like a golfer does. I want to step back. Also, to change the metaphor, sometimes you get in a forest and you're lost and they send out recovery helicopters to find you. The person's up in the helicopter looking for you in the forest, if you are lost, can see much better vantage point and perspective because they're in a helicopter above the trees of the forest. I want us to back off from verses 6 and 7, all right? All of the wonderful details, promises that are there. I want to line up the putt. I want to get in the helicopter. I want to reduce all the words and truth of verses 6 and 7 to eight words. Eight words. Joy, distress, proven faith, precious faith, and praising faith. Eight words. Joy, distress, proven faith, precious faith, and praising faith. And so as we do that, now I want to go right in. I want to look at the blades of grass on the putting green. I want to look at the leaves on the floor of the forest. I want to get real close to verses 6 and 7, and here's why. I want to get as close as your heart. I want to get as close as your mind. I want to get as close as what you're facing tomorrow or Tuesday or Wednesday. I want to get as close as the decisions that you will make when no one's looking. I want to get as close as how you feel when you're alone and you're weeping in your distress. I want to get that close. The fact is that in a group this size, I know for a fact there's a variety of distresses. There's a variety of trials. There's a variety of sufferings. And I would venture to say that the vast, vast majority of us here this morning have 
something like that. Have some trial, some problem, some distress that we're struggling with. Some of us have told others about it. We've shared, you know, this is what distresses me. Um, Can I come over for a cup of tea and we can talk and pray about it? Others of us have armor, and it's not our inclination or our temperament to tell anybody. We just soldier through the distresses and the sufferings and the trials. We suffer in silence. But either way, whether you share what your distresses are with another human being so they can help you go to the throne of grace, or you refuse to share anything with a human being for your own reasons, either way, the Lord Jesus Christ knows all about each of us, all about our distresses, all about our trials, all about our sufferings. Every single one of us, every single trial, suffering, and distress. Listen to Hebrews 4, verses 14 to 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore Draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. That's your Savior if you're saved. That's what he's like. I love the Old Testament verses from Psalm 139 that convey much the same. O Lord, the psalmist says, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou dost know when I sit down and when I rise up. Thou dost understand my thought from afar. Thou dost scrutinize my path and my lying down and art intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, thou dost know it all. Thou hast enclosed me behind and before and laid thy hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. That was Psalm 139, verses 1 through 6. And so, let me just say in love to you who are distressed, dear brother or sister who is distressed, these verses assure you that your Savior is both sympathetic and aware of all of your trials and distresses. That being said, you may have come in carrying those with you, but you do not have to leave through those four doors in the same weary, frightened state. You don't have to leave the way you came in. Why don't you Roll your trials and distresses off to God. Why don't you download them to the Lord Jesus? Why don't you hand them over to Christ, your sin substitute? You say, Pastor, I'm I'm not sure if I'm ready to do that. A lot of things I have to handle tomorrow. You have no idea how early I have to get up, how many phone calls I need to make, how many emails I need to do to try to sort this problem out. Why don't you roll it over to Jesus? 
Why don't you download it to Christ? Why don't you hand it over to your Lord and Savior? If not now, when? If not now, when? What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. I'm going to give us some brief seconds of silence to pray. You determine in these silent moments, right where you sit, what you need to roll over to Jesus, what you need to download to him, what you need to hand over to Jesus. He heard every prayer. He's not overwhelmed. In love, he will take it. So leave it with him. Receive in exchange for your worry, anxiety, anger, pain, peace, joy, faith, a settled confidence. Thank you for hearing our prayers, Lord. They're offered in Jesus' name. Amen. In a size of a group like this, no doubt there are a variety of distresses, things like business pressures, temptations, illness, betrayal, no employment or uncertain employment. Marriage problems, money problems, car troubles, disrespectful children, troubled kids who have chosen their friends very unwisely, loneliness, school pressures, dating issues, conflicts with others, seemingly unanswered prayers, personal debt, fear over crime, big decisions that have to be made. The first readers of the book of 1 Peter, they had plenty of distresses, plenty of trials, plenty of sufferings. When you read history, you would discover that the believers who first read 1 Peter contended with all of the above. Ready? Persecution being denied jobs and housing, in some cases being hunted down to be killed, the threat of false teachers, social marginalization, considered outcasts by family who were not Jesus believers, few or no personal rights under the Roman government, poverty, and lack. And yet, yet, Right in the face of all of that, they could have joy. They could accept their distresses. They could, 
Their faith could be proven to exist. Their faith could be demonstrated to be precious. Their faith could be in praise of God. How about you? You could have joy. You could accept your distress. You could have your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ proven to exist by the skeptics who live around you and don't think you're for real. You could have your faith in Jesus be demonstrated to be of high value. To show you're not a fair-weather friend of Jesus. You could praise the Lord Jesus with your current faith in him and then later with your future faith in him at his second coming. Seven, and the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the second coming. And so today we've seen in two verses, six and seven, eight words, joy, distress, proven faith, precious faith, praising faith. That's what we've seen. I just want to close with two more ideas and then we'll be done. Number one, I want you to know what Satan doesn't want you to know. And that is that God wills it for each of us who know Jesus as Savior to have all of these joy, distress, proven faith, precious faith, and praising faith. That is God's will for all of his redeemed children, all of us. You say, God wills distress for me? Mm -hmm. We learn some of the most things about our Savior in distress. Satan doesn't want us to believe that because he wants us to get, get a lie that something like this, oh, you're, you're uh, in distress? Do you think really God's real? You're in quite the distress, aren't you? Do you think he loves you? Maybe he's forgotten about you. Maybe you've sinned too much that he doesn't hear your prayers anymore. He's a liar. So the first last thing I wanted to say is that God wills for each of us to know joy, distress at times, proven faith, precious faith, and praising faith. But second, I want you to see right in verse 7 that, or verse 6, excuse me, that all of our trials, whatever trial was on that laundry list I read, whatever trial that you resonated with, whatever trial you checked a box on, whatever your trial is or mine, it is temporary and it is necessary. Whatever your trial, whatever my trial, you can know, take it to the bank, be sure that it is temporary and it is necessary. See it there in verse 6? In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while temporary. If necessary, necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. You know, maybe you could remind yourself of this. Because sometimes when we're in the deepest distresses and the deepest pains and the deepest sufferings, we need to be reminded. Reminds me of the tunnel at the Ripley's, believe it or not, museum in Orlando that my son and I went through not too long ago when we were on vacation. They have this black tunnel, and there's this, this uh, optical illusion that the lights go around in an arc, and it seems like the whole floor of the tunnel is going to just rock like the most incredible rocking ship, and you have handrails there. You have handrails there because you're going to fall if you don't hang on to the handrails. But what I needed to know when I went into that uh, blackened 
visual illusion tunnel was that it was temporary. I could see it was short. It was a short tunnel. And it was necessary, I guess, to enjoy the full experience that Ripley's, believe it or not. Whatever you're going through, Christian, it's temporary. And it's necessary. Maybe you could remind yourself of that, just like I needed to be reminded in that particular temple at the, or uh, tunnel at the museum. Temporary, necessary. I couldn't get out of the place without going through the tunnel. That was the truth. And so, whatever you're going through, could you make a sign to put on the dashboard of your car just as simply reads, temporary dot necessary. Temporary dot necessary. You could put that on your dashboard. You could put that on your mirror men where you shave in the mornings. Temporary necessary. Ladies, you could put it on a recipe card or something else in your purse. So every time you went to get your clutch to pay for something, get your car keys, there it would be, a little three-by-five recipe card. Temporary necessary. Maybe you could make your lock screen on your smartphone or your screensaver on your laptop or your smartphone wallpaper Those words, temporary, necessary, it'll help. It'll help. There was a butterfly lover who happened to notice a cocoon in one of her trees in her backyard. And so she watched the cocoon each day, hoping for an interesting development. And finally, one day, finally, she saw the young butterfly slowly, barely beginning to struggle its way out of the cocoon. And she noticed it was such a hard struggle. The butterfly had to stop often to rest and to regroup and to restart the process of busting out of the cocoon. The butterfly lover cared about the butterfly, so it occurred to her that she could actually help the young butterfly to get out of its cocoon. So she went into her house and she went into her craft supplies and she found a razor blade. And very carefully, she went out to the cocoon, and she cut the cocoon open without hurting the butterfly. And sure enough, after a few minutes, the baby butterfly, the young butterfly, came out of the cocoon, the slit-open cocoon. It flapped its wings a few times, fell to the grass, and right before her eyes, it died. She was so heartbroken. All she wanted to do was to help the butterfly. She didn't want to kill it. So she thought she would do for the butterfly what the butterfly normally does for itself. She went to her computer and Googled the whole process, and she found out in her research that by design, a butterfly must struggle long and hard to get out of its cocoon because that's what exercises the wings of the butterfly and provides the adequate circulation in the wings of the butterfly that it can be viable outside of the cocoon and it can fly. We, in God's providence and wisdom, we must go through distress at times. We must go through suffering at times. Why? Because God's forgotten us? No. Why? Because God doesn't care for us? No. Because God is wise. 
And God knows that some of us, all of us, in fact, will only learn some important lessons about him in the classroom of trials. In the lecture theater of suffering. Joy, distress, proven faith, precious faith, and praising faith. There is not an hour that he is not near us. No, not one. No, not one. No night so dark, but his love can cheer us. No, not one. No, not one. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your tender love and your unsurpassed wisdom that you would be so kind as to let us know the inside story about why we suffer, the often missed reason why we have distress. Lord, we would desire to be proven in our faith and trust and love for you to the end that we would come through these things, not somehow but triumphantly, and that we would also bring honor, praise, and glory to your name when you come back to set up your kingdom. We pray these things in Jesus' victorious name and all of God's tourists said, Amen.